Hello, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Haley Lancaster, and I'm on the platform team at Samsung Next. Over the next several weeks, we'll be sharing interviews recorded at this year's Web Summit Conference in Lisbon, where some of the world's leading figures in business and technology gathered in early November. Each week, we'll be highlighting conversations with people behind today's most groundbreaking innovations. Up next, you'll hear from Olga Feldmeyer, the founder of Smart Valor, an investment platform offering secure trading and brokerage services for digital assets and cryptocurrencies. She'll be speaking with Samsung Next Ryan Lawler about why she left banking, how she got into crypto, and how she sees the future of digital assets evolving. So I'm here with Olga Feldmeyer, who's the founder and CEO of Smart Valor. Welcome to the podcast, Olga. Hello, Ryan. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah. So I guess to start, tell me what is Smart Valor and um, what do you do as a company? Smart Valor is a Swiss company and we operate in a digital asset exchange. For those who don't know digital assets, those are those, you know, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, but actually can be any kind of token. And uh, currently, you know, the major product is basically, you know, the custody and trading for digital assets. Uh, but we are looking into the future where digital assets are not just cryptocurrency, but also token-based real assets, so-called security tokens, right? Okay. So can you give me an example of what that might mean in the future? Well, that can be basically anything. So, you know, what people know today um, about security tokens or tokens backed by real assets or money is, for example, stablecoin. Uh, stablecoin stable is something, you know, basically I get $100 and for those $100 I issue 100 token dollars, right? So it's a token 100% backed by national currency. That's very popular today because they are fast, you know, they are not volatile. You can transact in them with almost zero cost and uh, almost instant payments, right? But, for example, if you take several national currency and put them in the basket, that became something, for example, what Facebook is trying to do, right? Libra. So it's also stable coin but based on different assets. But this is just money. You can imagine taking any kind of real asset, real estate, share of a company, and issuing a token which represents this asset. Okay. And um, just curious, so when you talk about um, stable coins and, you know, currency in particular, like, what's the, what's the advantage of having a stable coin where you can, you know, uh, where you can uh, access multiple different currencies? Well... Well, the advantage is, you see, the money today, how it travels, uh, is still kind of like the same what it used to be 20, 30 years ago, right? If you were to send me money from U.S. to Switzerland, it will take us probably three or four days and cost us a fortune. But there is something like PayPal and all this, you know, alternative payment uh, systems that came up. Nothing is comparable to cryptocurrencies because cryptocurrencies run on decentralized network of computers and, and what this does mean or achieves is that money travels instantly. So if you send me a Bitcoin, I have it in several minutes, right? So this is cryptocurrencies. The disadvantage of cryptocurrencies is a high volatility, right? Like today it can be, you know, 80% less or more. The advantage of stable coins is that they are 100% backed by national currency. 
So they are technically the same as cryptocurrency, but they don't have this volatility. They're stable, right? So, and that means that you can send me money instantly with no volatility and almost zero cost. Got it. Got it. Um, that's really interesting. So, so you have a very interesting background. Um, you know, before you were in the crypto world, you were in the finance world. And before that, you know, you have kind of an interesting path to even getting there. Um, maybe could you tell the audience sort of a, a little bit about how you got to where you are? <laughs> sure. So we all have many lives within yeah. one life, right? Uh-huh. Uh, this is my third life. Okay. So the first one was uh, in uh, consulting, management consulting industry. I joined Boston Consulting Group and used to advise banks on global strategy. Uh, the second life was a banker. Um, I kind of like, you know, wanted to learn all you need to know about banking, investment banking, wealth management. And at some point, you know, I understood that there is just that much to know. And, and the banking, the way we know it, will probably change fundamentally. And we've been looking for a long time for this technology that is going to change the banking to uh, to the opposite, right? And for a long time, there was nothing. Until 11 years ago, um, you know, the Bitcoin protocol was issued and, you know, blockchain as a such uh, came into existence. And I came to realize, you know, that blockchain is this technology that is going to change banking Fundamentally, there will be no banks, there will be no centralized entities. The landscape will completely change. And for me personally, I thought like, wow, I'm so happy. Uh, I'm such a lucky person to live through this, you know, historical age, mm-hmm. you know, where this technology is transforming banking. So I had to leave my banking jobs and join a startup, Silicon okay. Valley startup. So when you talk about uh, sort of this traditional way of banking, like, what are the challenges? You mentioned, you know, currency exchange is one. Um, but, like, what are the big problems with it that you see today that can be addressed, um, you know, with uh, this crypto technology? Well, the fundamental problem with banking used to be that, you know, to provide banking services to the people, you need uh, quite a significant infrastructure on the ground, right? You needed banks, uh, you know, offices there, permission from regulatory bodies to establish this uh, banking operations. The result of this is that today, you know, only about 20% uh, of people have access to financial services in banking, right? In the rich world, of course, the number is different, but overall, this is a fact. And and the technology came to change this, right? So it started with uh, PayPal, similar services and wallets, right? Those people today, well, they never had a banking account and they will never have it, right? So they moved from having no banking services and no access to financial system to having a mobile wallet, right? And from there, the journey goes to cryptocurrencies. And the advantage of cryptocurrencies is that, you know, well, this technology, because it's decentralized, you know, there are computers, network of computers running this protocol, running this software, so the transactions can be settled in a very fast and cheap way. And, and yes, well, there is no regulation. Bitcoin is not a company. It's just a network of computers, right? So, of course, there is no cost of, you know, applying to the licenses and all of this. So that leads to enablement of services, payment services, for people who had, you know, no banking account, no access to, to banking services 
just almost for free, right? And and this is, I think, it's it's a great you know democratization of access to finance for everybody around, comparable probably only with you know the appearance of internet and democratization of access to information. So it's the same for money. Right. So when you talk about that, one of the things that I wonder about is you know with this lack of regulation, you know I feel like there's a little bit of pushback now um, from, especially from like various state actors um, who are saying, oh, we don't, we don't want this like crypto in our country or whatever. Um, so how do you see that right now? And how do you see it playing out over time? So this is a natural development of this industry, right? The industry is maturing, right? Now we have the technology, so of course the regulation is coming. And I think it's a good thing so a lot of uh, companies and services in this space, being it custody, wallet providers or, or exchanges, moving more and more into the business models where they are regulated entities in different jurisdictions. So, for example, we as a Swiss company, but we run the exchange from neighboring Liechtenstein, you know, a small country that is welcoming and embracing this innovation. Um, and, and the same you can see, you know, in different jurisdictions such as Singapore, or Malta, or Bermuda, and, and so on, right? So some jurisdictions are welcoming this business, enabling companies to run a legal business with not too high regulatory burden or, uh, you know, expenses. This is a good development. Of course, you know, you still see the pushback from um, nation states, you know, which uh, mostly, you know, outside of our rich world, those, com- those countries that, you know, have um, corrupt governments and, you know, abuse um, their people through means of, you know, hyperinflation. Of course, they try to prevent outflow of capital right. and cryptocurrencies is perfect for that. So, of course, they frown on it. Of course, you know, this is the reason why a lot of countries try to prohibit Bitcoin. Um, the point is, they cannot do anything about it, right? They can prohibit it, but, you know, the computers are running on decentralized networks. There is nothing you can do about it. And kind of like, maybe it's the same or similar is true for Facebook, you know, because Facebook is so powerful and so big and have 2.5 billion users. Like this cryptocurrency, which is, you know, stable coin on the basket of company, uh, basket of currencies can become so powerful and so big that, you know, it can challenge some national currencies. So, of course, you know, the states that are now running the global currencies, such as, you know, U.S. and some countries in European um, economic zone, they don't like this idea of, you know, being challenged by another corporate currency. Right. So how does smart power fit into all this? Because, you know, as you mentioned, like, you're, you're sort of about the securitization of digital assets and, you know, making sure that they... Uh, are able to be traded um, are you like working to help these uh, companies or you know digital asset providers like actually get regulated and you know to be able to do things in a way that uh, is seen as, as right and fair etc <laughs> yes so our, exactly our mission is basically you know to enable um, securitization of assets in a simple and easy way. What this means is that, you know, if you're, for example, a young, aspiring technology company, and, uh, well, you know, you've been growing and you have a big, you know, base of followers and customers, but you're not yet there for IPO. And imagine, you're a tech company, right? 
what is the reason there for you to go to your bank and take a loan or to do traditional IPO? This is the funding how it used to be done some, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but, you know, we moved on. We have now cryptocurrencies, we have tokenization. We can help companies to issue their shares in the form of a token. And what it does, you know, this token can be, well, first of all, distributed globally as an investment among its followers or investors. But B, this token is issued on the blockchain. It is a token. So it's easily transferable instantly, right? I can send it to you. You have it the same second. Not the same as a share that I sell to my bank and bank trades it on another exchange and exchange gives this to your bank. Right. The whole thing takes three days and costs right, us right. a lot of money, right? So the token is peer-to-peer way to transfer ownership of any asset. So you can issue your share. You know, we can trade it on exchange like Smart Valor soon. So we're applying for licenses to enable security token train, trading. So shares of the companies that are issued in the form of token can be become tradable. And with that, the biggest advantage is that they become liquid. So you can have a liquid market of, you know, financial rights in a company that is alternative to IPO, alternative to exchanges. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the key point is here, you know, tech companies should do funding in a tech way. Right. Um, I'm kind of wondering, like, where you see sort of the state of the industry right now, because I feel like, you know, two years ago, there were a, a huge number of ICOs, there was a lot of token sales, and then over time, that has, it, it seems like there are fewer of them. Um, is that just sort of my outside perception, um, or did something actually change in the market? No, well, a lot of things are changing, of course, yeah, yeah. you're right. And, you know, ICO as a such was a great experiment and it moved us as an industry a great step forward. Why? Because for the first time it showed the way how with this technology we can achieve global funding of global ventures in a very fast and agile way, right? So ICO, you had you issued your tokens that represented some kind of participation or right in the company and you were fundraising with was um, cryptocurrency. And the advantage was that there was instantly secondary market, right, where people could trade those tokens. So ICO came and went. What remained is that, you know, this token, which, you know, used to be some kind of utility rights to the company, now it's mutating into share of the company. So the same tokens can be issued by they represent, you know, legal right, right, a share. And and this is no much different than, you know, you know, basically doing an IPO and sharing or, or crowdfunding. The only difference between crowdfunding and security token issuance, right, is that you instantly have the secondary market where people can trade the entitlements among themselves, right? So, yes, ICO was the first stage. It mutated now into asset-backed tokens. And I think this is something that will disrupt exchanges such as NASDAQ and New York State, so traditional exchanges. Okay. Um, so when you when you talk about um, interesting decentralized applications today, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, digital assets and currency, um, but what else is interesting from, from your perspective? Like, is there going to be like like what will be the killer decentralized app? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. 
well, I cannot talk for all the industries, right? Yeah. In healthcare, it will be this, you know, in logistics, uh, it will be different cases. I, you know, my uh, my course is finance. Right. So I think, you know, what, what we are building, this is great, you know, and it will enable a much more progressive and democratic access to funding for companies. But apart from that, I think the whole topic of decentralization, right? This is a very, very important development, you know, because companies like us, we are still, well, it's new technology, but we are still in the same regulatory framework. Right. There is so much we can do, right? Um, but the new development, what I see today, you know, is that platform like ours develop, but completely outside of regulatory framework. They are somewhere, you know, they are those DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. And I used to be very skeptical about them, but I think they have their right of existence. Because you see, the point is, like, in all those countries, you know, where, you know, governments want to keep the money of their uh, citizens in their country. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that this is right, you know, it's a human right. I can do with my money what I want to do, right? So for all of those citizens in those countries, this decentralized finance platform will have a certain benefit. Of course, there will be scams and people will lose money. And, you know, there is no way to create innovation without, you know, some burden on society and some loss, right? But I think this decentralized finance will kind of, you know, a little bit losing the power of corrupt states on their people and enable people to transact and invest the way they want, independently of what government wants. Right. Um, so as someone that has been in sort of both of these worlds, right, what um, I would say, you know, two-part question, like what does the you know, finance world or banking world have that the crypto world needs and vice versa? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, the banking world, of course, has a power, right? And, you know, the lobby and security and exchange commission and all those organizations, partially it, it is the lobby of the financial system, right? Of course, they protect interests of investors, but they also protect interests of insiders, right? This is what we don't have, right? The whole, you know, crypto and blockchain and startup um, startup um, communities. Sometimes we're losing the battle and they're bigger and stronger and we move to the back, but sometimes we have been in this, right? And and I, th I think, you know, initially the first phase it was like banks again, crypto companies, this is changing, Right. Now, a lot of, you know, banks work with crypto companies. Look at us, Smart Valour. We were incubated in Thomson Reuters, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one of the largest financial information companies, right? So I think the future will be a lot a lot more, you know, um, col collaborative between mm -hmm. those two camps. And what banks don't have, what we have, is probably, you know, this broad vision about the innovation and where the journey can go, um, the passion to deliver uh, extreme, uh, you know, extremely um, futuristic scenario of product and services. Just maybe one example, yeah. what we are currently rolling out, staking. So staking is like if you have a cryptocurrency, 
you can give it to us and we run the blockchain with your stake, with your currency. You can earn between 6 to 30% and we give it back to you. It's a technical service, but in no bank you can today earn 6 or <laughs> 9%, right? right? How are you able to do that? Like, what uh, What's the technology that enables that? This is a very interesting new technology. So blockchain used to be all about proof of works. So it's a consensus mechanism where, you know, to run uh, or perform certain operations on the uh, blockchain network, you need to basically have a lot of computing power and prove that you have these computers and they work. So this is kind of like, you know, being now replaced by a new um, consensus mechanism called proof of stake. So it works differently. You don't need to have that massive computing power, but what you need is to hold a certain amount of this cryptocurrency to have a stake in it, right? Because if you have a significant stake, well, you probably will not screw the system, right? Because then you lose your coins. So this proof of stake, this is where the blockchain technology moves to. Ethereum is going to, you know, also uh, migrate to proof of stake beginning of the next year. And we as an exchange, you see, we have anyway 24-7 running infrastructure and servers. So what we offer as a service to investors uh, like you, you can basically give us your um, tokens or Ethereum in the future and so on, and we run a node on those blockchain networks. And everything, all the returns that we generate with performance as a technical service, they're given back to you, right? So basically, it's delegated running of a blockchain. And it's actually interesting, Ryan, because if you think about it, it's kind of like, imagine, so on those blockchain networks, this is where future financial services will be provided through those you know, networks, also banking services and anything. And the infrastructure, the blockchain, is run by exchanges. It's right. kind of like New York Stock Exchange would run JP Morgan Chase, uh, you know, server infrastructure, right? So right. quite a crazy development, I think, which a lot of bankers could, you know, raise their brows about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, you had mentioned a few questions ago you, or in one of your answers, you mentioned sort of the SEC and, you know, um, in increased regulation in this space. Um, you know, obviously that's specific to the U.S., um, but I, I think it's kind of broadly seen around the world. Um, so I'm curious, like, how, how that's changed the way that people think about cryptocurrency. And, uh, and and token sales. Yeah, I think it's proven that that's had a very positive impact, right? Mm -hmm. Because today you can get licensed as a wallet or a cryptocurrency exchange, mm -hmm. and if you're licensed or registered um, in some countries, they call it this way, then well, there is a certain you know mechanism and, and supervision that is taken over exchanges or wallets. And, and people know about it, and this is how I think more and more investors and general public open up to the idea of investing in digital assets. Right. So in general, that's a positive development. Okay. So in that way, regulation can actually be a good thing? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so if you weren't, I mean, if you weren't doing this, like, is there another area that you would be interested in, like, working in? Oh, you know, Ryan, that's a problem. You know, once you're in crypto or Bitcoin, okay. that's a rabbit hole. It's yeah. one-way street. You know, you never can... Like, everything else loses its, you know, 
meaning and <laughs> interest in you just like <laughs> so well you know I come from Ukraine I grew up in a poor country I went through hyperinflation you know where money completely lost its value and seeing something like something so powerful like you know Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies where people you know in all those countries they can now protect themselves from the will of their corrupt government and have something that no government can influence right. like just from the ideological perspective for me right. this is I decided to dedicate the rest of my life to this I, technology I, I still feel like there's kind of a barrier to entry though right because um, right now uh, it's not as easy as it should be right I mean you can talk about how how many people in the world are underbanked but even then um you know, has the technology caught up to the point where uh, those underbanked people and what's keeping them from being banked um, is also not keeping them from owning cryptocurrency or, you know, some other digital asset? That's true. When we speak about, you know, mass adoption yeah. of cryptocurrencies or a blockchain company, I have to admit, you know, they've been probably not shooting for, you know, the best, or if you compare, you know, this technology to development of Facebook or Twitter, well, Facebook is just 14 years old company, Bitcoin is 11. So if you would compare, you know, well, you have to say that probably in terms of mass adoption, we are not yet there, but this is changing, right? This is changing as, you know, the user interfaces and, and how much you need to know about tech, this is changing well, basically now it's just the wallet. It's the same on your mobile phone, and you don't need to um, to know anything about cryptocurrency. And it's it's a process, you know. We needed custodians, we needed wallet providers, we needed connection to the banking system so that money flows into the banking and out of crypto. And as long as there was this, you know, massive war between banks and crypto companies that banks didn't bank the cryptocurrency, there was no connection between two systems, so it could not work, right? So now as, you know, regulation come into place for crypto and banks start to work with the major problems and pain points is being solved. And I think in the next five years, we will go through the phase of mass adoption of blockchain-based money, right? Yeah. I'm not saying cryptocurrencies, right, but right. some, you know, some kind of payment mechanisms that is just built on this technology. Yeah, I, I mean... The other thing, question that I have with that is that um, today you mentioned mobile wallets and um, and the ability to do this on your phones, which is the primary source of internet for a lot of these underbanked you know, or unbanked people, right? Um, but at the same time, you know the the platforms and the distribution mechanisms for uh, for those mobile phones haven't really been that accepting of uh, decentralized decentralized applications or cryptocurrency exchanges or mobile wallets today like it's hard to like get those apps approved it's hard to find visibility in them um, you can't advertise them on many platforms um, do you think that that will change over time well, you guys are changing it, right? <laughs> so Samsung, uh, this is a leader in uh, embracing this innovation, right? I was uh, really, truly amazed and tweeted and uh, posted everywhere the news that the new Samsung phone not just has a custody and wallet for Bitcoin, but also for other cryptocurrencies, including Ethereum, right? 
Yeah. I mean, this is this is the things that we badly need in our industry at that time. Very thankful to Samsung okay. <laughs> and very very happy about this development. This is a key, right? Because this is a custody, this is a technical solution. How do I make sure if I have those coins that I have them tomorrow, right? This is super helpful um, and will drive an adoption, right? Now all we need is just the cheaper phones. So you guys produce okay. much, much cheaper <laughs> phones that anybody can afford it. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, last question. This is a question that I ask pretty much everyone, but what's one controversial opinion you have that's very strongly held? Hmm. Now I need to be cautious. As you know, financial intermediary and financial okay. company CEO. <laughs> okay. I can just do so many statements. But as I said, I'm, I'm for example, I'm a big fan of Facebook uh, project. And Libra. Okay. I really like it. I think it, it's amazing that it will have a tremendous value for a lot of people around the world. And no, I don't agree with the opinion of Germany and France that uh, they should, you know, pull back that project. <laughs> Well, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of curious what you think about the evolution of that because it seemed like, you know, Facebook came to market or they announced this thing and it's supposed to have, you know, a huge number of partners on board and then there's some regulatory pushback. And the partners have dropped off. Um, what, what's happening there? Oh, this is actually quite, quite crazy stuff. I couldn't believe it myself. I read the letter that was sent by Security and Exchange Commission to those participating, well, previously participating companies, where they basically said, well, you know, guys, if you're going to participate in this thing, you will get in trouble with us. Right? It was like really almost threatening letter, right? Yeah. I mean, wow, this is such a, you know, influence in, from the political or regulatory perspective. I think it's, uh, well... It's, it's really crazy, you know, that something like this can happen in our democratic societies, right? So, yeah, well, I am very happy to see that none of the crypto companies or blockchain companies left. Coinbase is still there. SAP is supporting us. We would love to support it, you know. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, this is kind of like right and left. Some, some companies will go there and some companies will stay on their old roads. Well, Olga, thank you very much for being with us on What's Next. Thank you very much, Ryan. See you soon. Thanks for listening to What's Next. We'll be releasing new interviews from Web Summit every week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Haley Lancaster. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. This episode of What's Next was produced in partnership with podcast.co.